Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast, Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dennis Ackerman. On Sunday, the Raiders are going to look to rebound after a disappointing loss to the Patriots as they take on another AFC East foe, the undefeated Buffalo Bills. Buffalo's coming off a big win over the Rams. They squandered a 25-point lead and scored the game-winning touchdown with under a minute to play. For the third straight week, the Raiders are underdogs. But if you're feeling like the Raiders' chances are good this Sunday, then head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Now, as you know, each week I like to give a little serious history lesson of the Raiders and whomever their opponent is. I was a history minor in college, and I think it's important to not live in the past, but to remember it and embrace it. And I also think it's important for the younger Raider Nation fans know their team's history as well. So let's take a look at the Raiders and Bills through the years. These are two original members of the old AFL, and they first met in 1960. Raiders lead the all-time series 21-20, and the last time they played was three years ago, with the Bills winning rather easily in Buffalo, 34-14. The Raiders had won the previous two matchups, including 2016 when they rallied from a 15-point deficit to knock off the Bills 38-24 in Oakland. Derek Carr threw for a couple of touchdowns. Latavius Murray, who we just saw two weeks ago with the Saints, he ran for two scores. And the great Sebastian Janikowski, Seabass, kicked three field goals in the win. The two franchises, they have met twice in the playoffs. Both times it was in Buffalo. And the Raiders came out on the short end of the stick twice. The first one was in the AFC Championship game in 1991, and that one was over by halftime. It was the first of four trips in a row to the Super Bowl for the Buffalo Bills. All right, let's move on to Sunday's matchup now. And let's begin with the defense. Yes, the defense. And they're absolutely going to have their hands full with quarterback Josh Allen who's putting up MVP-type numbers through the first three games. Raiders head coach John Gruden was very complimentary on the former Wyoming Cowboy. There, Allen is a problem for everybody. He can make the throws that you can dream about. He's powerful. He's got a rocket. He's hard to tackle. He's smart. Uh, He's everything you're looking for at the quarterback position, and they've surrounded him with an arsenal of good players. But the Buffalo offensive line ranks near the bottom of the league. It's pretty banged up as the Rams got to Allen four times, and they've allowed eight sacks overall. Max Crosby picked up his first two sacks of the season last week against the Patriots, so hopefully that's a sign of things to come. Perhaps it will rub off on some of the other Raiders because right now they have just three sacks as a team. That's tied for 31st in the league, ahead of only the Carolina Panthers. And oh, by the way, Raider Nation, do you know which player leads the NFL in sacks? How about former Raider Alden Smith? Well, congrats to him for getting clean and making an impact with the Cowboys, despite the fact he hasn't played in four years. He missed all of the 2016, 
17, 18, and 19 seasons. I mean, it is just a remarkable story. And once again, congrats to Alden Smith. Getting back to the Raiders' defense now. Another player who turned in a strong performance was quarterback Trayvon Mullen. According to Pro Football Focus, Mullen allowed just one completion for eight yards while forcing eight incompletions against Cam Newton. Raiders' secondary will once again be tested as the Bills have a very talented wide receiving core led by Stephon Diggs, who leads the team. Remember, he came over from the Vikings in an offseason trade. Cole Beasley, who is the Bills' version of Hunter Renfro, and John Brown. Now, starting cornerback Damon Arnett didn't practice on Wednesday. Remember, it looked like he injured his thumb again against the Patriots and not sure his status for this Sunday. He was one of 16 Raiders to show up on the injury report. Now, one positive is linebacker Nick Kwiatkowski returned to the practice field. And I want to talk about a player now that I really hyped up leading into the season. It was linebacker Corey Littleton. He was supposed to be the crown jewel of the Raiders' free agent class. But so far, there's been very little shine to his play. According to Pro Football Focus, he's the team's lowest-graded player. And overall, he ranks 73rd out of 76 linebackers in the league. He was so good in coverage for the Rams. But we'll see if he can turn it around Sunday versus the high-powered Buffalo offense. Let's talk about the Raiders' offense now. And quarterback Derek Carr has put up some really solid numbers so far, Raider Nation. He's completing 74% of his passes, and he's averaging nearly eight yards an attempt which is nearly a yard better than his career average. He's thrown six touchdown passes with no picks. He's one of four starting QBs that hasn't thrown an interception. The other three, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Aaron Rodgers. I'd say that's pretty good company. Now, he did have two costly fumbles against the Patriots. So in terms of that, he's got to do a better job of protecting the football. I do expect Carr will be able to do some damage against the less than Par Bills secondary, despite the fact he won't have his full arsenal of weapons. The NFL Network's Ian Rappaport says Brian Edwards will miss next week's game because of an ankle sprain, and Henry Ruggs III will also miss his second straight game because of hamstring issues. Gruden says others are just going to have to step up in their absence. We got a lot of confidence in Aguilar. We've said that from the very beginning. And Zay Jones will get a chance to go up against his former teammates, so uh, we all know Renfro can play, and uh, we'll, we'll find somebody to, to fill in, but we need some guys to get healthy quick. Both Jared Goff of the Rams and Ryan Fitzpatrick of the Dolphins threw for more than 300 yards against Buffalo, which has been down one of its starting cornerbacks this season, Josh Norman. Now, Norman was at practice on Wednesday, so he'll likely make his first appearance of the season against the Raiders. I look for Darren Waller to have a bounce-back game after the Patriots held him to a pair of catches for just nine yards. As for Josh Jacobs and the Raiders' rushing attack, I felt like in the first half against the Patriots, the Raiders could run all day. But in the second half, the Patriots made the necessary adjustments, and the running game was in quicksand during the second half. Jacobs finished with 71 yards on 17 attempts. He should definitely have some more running room on Sunday against the Bills. Buffalo's defense is almost as bad against the run as it is against the pass. The Bills are allowing more than four and a half yards a carry, and the Rams torched them for nearly 170 yards last Sunday. 
I'll have more on the Raiders offense a little bit later in the podcast. All right, for more on the Buffalo Bills, let me welcome my friend, a former broadcast partner and former Buffalo Bill, Chris Hale to the podcast. Thanks so much, my friend, for taking the time to join me. Uh, always a pleasure, my friend. And I, I shouldn't say former, let's just say present. We'll just keep, we'll, we're still a team. <laughs> you got it. That sounds good. Hey, uh, your Buffalo Bills are 3-0. and uh, You believe in they're the real deal? I do. I do. But I believe that last year. They're a legitimate team uh, with an outstanding quarterback who, uh, you know, everybody knows is going to be a pro bowler for uh, a time to come. They have a very, very stiff defense, uh, a good coaching staff. I think they're on their way. I want to talk a little bit more about Josh Allen. I'm going to read you some numbers. Yeah. And, Chris, they are absolutely mind-blowing. So in his past 14 games, obviously going back to last year, 33 touchdowns, just three interceptions. This season, he's thrown for over 1,000 yards, 10 passing touchdowns, and two rushing touchdowns. He's thrown for more than 300 yards in the first three games. He had none prior to this year. I mean, talk about a turnaround for his, compared to his first two seasons. What do you make of his play so far this year? Uh, it's just maturation, you know, as a quarterback, it's to me, it's the hardest, Dennis, it's the hardest position to play in football. Actually, I think quarterback is the hardest position to play in sports. And so some people adapt to it a little bit faster than others. Uh, it's taken him a little bit of time. Of course, you have to build a team around him as well. But it's just him becoming a little bit more mature. Everybody knew he was uh, an incredible athlete. I mean, he can throw the ball a mile. He has a great arm. He has a great size. He's prototype. And the, and the big thing about him is, here, is his feet for being such a big guy, a big, strong guy. It's almost like he's a linebacker playing uh, quarterback. But uh, him being mature, being able to understand the game, coming from a smaller college with, the, you know, the less amount of speed that he had to deal with uh, up where he came from, but being able to adjust, it's going to take time. It's taken time for anybody who's been any good in this league and people don't realize that. And he's one of those guys that's along that line of being uh, uh, the, the maturation rate, just going uh, off the charts this year. He gets it now. Chris, when you played the, the thought process, quarterbacks come in, they got to sit a year, maybe two years. They got to learn the NFL game. Now we just throw kids right into to the action. I mean, they're expected to produce immediately. Where did that all kind of change along the way? Um, well, I think, you know, what I think happened uh, back in our day, back in our day, I sound like an old man, is the fact that we had more mature quarterbacks. We had a, 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 an enormous amount of very talented guys back there. And so they wanted to be able to, to, to allow this guy a little bit of time, whoever they drafted, a little bit of time to be able to mature off the field because certain things can happen. It's a very delicate position as well. Uh, mentally, you could become gunshot. You want to get rid of the ball a little bit quicker. You could get beat up a little bit quicker. And so, and so now I, I just think that there's not a lot of uh, amazing quarterbacks out there that um, dictated having, you know, uh, uh, another year to be able to, uh, uh, to, to get better. I think what happens now is that you, you're paying these guys a lot of money and they have to produce right now. So remember when I was playing, there was the Jim Kellys, the Dan Marinos, the Joe Montanas, you know, and, and so, for example, Steve Young sat behind Joe Montana. I mean, right. you know, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to sit behind this guy. And so you don't have that now. You don't have two of these guys that were available for you 
to be able to uh, put in that situation. I think that if you had that now, if you had all these quarterbacks and then you had to have somebody behind them and sit them for a year, they're, they're very comfortable with that. And I can actually say that the Green Bay Packers are doing that right now. They made the first pick out of Utah State. And they're going to sort of, it's, it's an old school style. They're going to sort of wait for Aaron Rodgers to run his time and then they're going to get rid of him and then he's going to step in. Just like Aaron Rodgers had to sit behind Brett Favre. Exactly, exactly. So there was, so, so there's, you know, the, the, the quality of quarterbacks. I'd say, and, uh, you know, I might get in trouble for something like this, but I'd say in this league, there's probably five quarterbacks that I would say that are uh, amazing enough to take you to the Super Bowl and you just don't want to get rid of them. All the other ones are in a different category right below. And then, and then the ones that they bring in, they think, okay, well, you know, maybe this guy can take the place of the, the, the next level guy. So nobody's going to take the place of Brady, right? right? You know, yeah, you're, you're not going to go out there and, and, and you shouldn't be able to take the place of Aaron Rodgers, and you shouldn't be able to take uh, the place of um, Drew Brees, somebody like that. But um, all the other quarterbacks to me, are in a category where the, the, the teams consider them very good, but not great. And so that situation, you know, you, you can take that one over. And so, uh, you know, Cincinnati was done with, um, uh, with uh, who's Andy, down at Dallas now? Andy Dalton. Yeah, Andy Dalton. They were done with Andy Dalton. And even if they would have bought uh, Burrow in right now and Andy Dalton was still there, they would, they, they would be trying out for that spot one-on-one. You know, there, there would be a, a contest to see who was – uh, the quarterback there. So that situation is, is depending basically on how you think your quarterback is going to be. Is he, can he win the Super Bowl for you? And so there's so much more of, can we get him mature and can we win the Super Bowl right away? And that's the difference between then and now. All right. I want to go back to your current Buffalo Bills. What do you like about them? And what is your biggest concern moving forward about them? I I, uh, um, I like the fact that they are a tough team. Um, they have a group of guys that go out there and seem to play together. Um, there's not one guy that really sticks out to me. Obviously, there's the name guys that they have, uh, Diggs and and um, Josh Allen and Singletary. But there's it's a group of guys that play together and they play well together. And 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 so they're. Um, getting used to being around each other. The thing that um, is a, probably a question mark to me is the fact that they don't have a superstar player. And I think that in this game, there are so many very good players that it makes the game even. But when you have great players, those players make plays in big situations that put them a step above anybody else. And so like the Aaron Donald, you know, he's a great player. Right. He's going to make plays, and you're going to say, this guy's incredible. Um, the, um, uh, there, there's so many of them out there. Uh, uh, Michael Thomas, who makes great plays, he's a step above. Right. And, you know, the Tom Brady's of the world, yeah. And he's a step above. Uh, uh, Kelsey, I think, is the best tight end in the game. He's just a step above all the other tight ends that I see. And so I think you need a couple of those guys on a team that's going to – um, win a Super Bowl. You know, you, you, you can get to a certain spot with really, really good players, but I don't think that you can get over the top. And I can't think of a team in my mind that has gotten to the Super Bowl without a couple of superstar players. So when you played for Buffalo, 
you had a lot of superstar players. You were part of three yeah. Super Bowl teams. But you yeah. mentioned something interesting. I know that they had a lot of great players. You had Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, you know, James Lawson, Andre Reed, Bruce Smith. Yeah. But you guys yeah. were a team. You guys played together, right? And that was a key to going to four straight Super Bowls. I think, well, I think that we were just so talented that it was hard to keep us out. Uh, we have probably five Hall of Famers on that team alone. It's hard to have five Hall of Famers and not know that they're all studs and they're very good. And there was, you know, some other top level guys that, that, that you don't even, you know, mention their names. There was our offensive line. We had Ken Holt, who was, I don't, I don't know, maybe a five-time Pro Bowler. Uh, Cornelius Bennett, who was a, you know, five or six-time Pro Bowler. Daryl Talley, who is now uh, nominated for the Hall of Fame. We had a tremendous amount of talent. And we could make plays. It is really, really hard to go back to the Super Bowl, not just once or twice, but three times. That team went back four times straight, which is absolutely ridiculous. But that just shows how much talent we had and how many special guys made special plays. That'll never be done again. There's no way a team will go to four consecutive Super Bowls. Did you realize at the time uh, how special it was, what you guys were able to accomplish? Absolutely not. I, I had no idea. You know, I was just getting in the league. You know, realize I got drafted to this team. Um, I was, I was the only rookie on defense that made the team. We didn't change anybody. Yeah, there was two guys that made the team that year. That was me on defense and a guy named Don Beebe on offense. The old <laughs> wide receiver. Yes. We're, yeah, we're the only two guys that made the team. This was an incredible team. I could, I could never imagine getting drafted on a team that had so much talent. And listen, I would have probably spent 15 years in a league if I would have went to Cleveland. But you have to compete against these guys who are trends. So, you know, two of our uh, defense backs when I got there were uh, first and second rounders. Uh, it, it's just a hard team to beat. You can't imagine that. And I, and I couldn't imagine it. And I really actually never thought about it. I just thought about, I, let, me, let me just try to make this team. Sure. You know what I mean? And then we go from there. Yeah. So, Chris, you're one of two rookies to make the team. What was your welcome to the NFL moment? Because when did you realize, hey, this ain't high school. This isn't USC football. This is big boy football. This is the NFL. So um, when, when I, when I, when I uh, went there for uh, minicamp, uh, I shouldn't say minicamp. I'll say when I went there for regular camp. When we had a, what happened back in our day is it was, everything was a lot longer. You know, these guys are spoiled like crazy now. So when you come in, you come in with uh, rookies and free agents uh, that they've signed. And so uh, I came in with these guys and, the, the, you know, the wide receivers and we're doing one-on-one -on -one drills and learning our stuff. And I said, you know what? I can handle this. Like I, I'm doing, I'm doing really, really well with these rookies and free agents. Like, you know, when the big boys come in, I'm going to show them what I'm made of. And then about a week later, the big boys come in. And uh, so I got to guard Andre Reed uh, and then James Lofton and then Chris Paquette, and, you know, a whole bunch of guys in a row. And then and we, and I thought, I felt like my feet were in cement. I said, what just happened over one day? Everything got so much faster. Guys were bigger, stronger and everything. So it was, it just went to a different level. And I was like, and mentally and physically, it wasn't just, you know, physically on the field, mentally, because they were throwing all, all the stuff, all the playbook stuff, you realize that you got basically six weeks to learn the playbook, uh, to get on the same page as everybody, to compete with these guys who are incredible athletes. And um, like I said, you only have six weeks to do it. And so that was the welcome to the NFL moment. Like, I, I don't know if I can handle this. 
it was so much thrown at you at the same time. Because you realize when you walk into uh, the, the first practice, the plays are already in. The veterans have been there for three or four years. They know all that stuff. And so in your mind, you're going through what, I ha what you have to do in a whole new situation, but you don't have much time to do it. And by the way, you don't have many reps to do it either. And so even when you get into one-on-one, -on -one, I got to guard Andre Reed. It's, it, it, that's your welcome to the NFL moment. Yeah, good luck with that. So how long do you think yeah. it took you, not only from a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint, to catch up to the veterans? It took, a, it took me a, a, about a year. Wow. It took me about a year because understanding that uh, even when you're playing against your own team and you're, and you're practicing with them every week and you're doing your own thing, um, you have to see different guys every week. So um, uh, another welcome to the NFL moment was playing against – my first game was against Miami. And to me, Dan Marino's the best quarterback ever. By, and it's not even close to me as far as just being a quarterback who can actually throw the football. Right. He was way he ahead through the football time. like uh, he was incredible. They just had no running game and they had no defense. Otherwise, this guy wins, you know, two or three Super Bowls. But so that's my first game. Wow. And I and I thought this is yeah we're not in Kansas anymore <laughs> sort of thing. It, it it was it was just incredible. So then the next week you see John Elway. The next week, it's a completely different group, a completely different group of receivers, guys. So it takes a while to be able to get used to all of that. But by the second year, I felt so much more comfortable that I could just walk in and I knew how, who I was going to play. I could study them the way I wanted to study them, so on and so forth. So it took about a year for me to get used to everything. I want to talk about something you and I were talking about off camera, and that was uh, John Gruden and the Raiders offense. And I was saying to you, no matter what the score is, no matter what the situation is, Gruden wants to be balanced. He wants a 50-50 split run yeah. pass ratio. And I was just like, you know, I, I don't know if that's a good thing when you're, when you're trailing by two, possession, by two scores or three scores. And you said, no, you've got to be balanced. Can you explain that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so, so for me, you, you have to have the run-pass combination and because you have to be able to fool people one way or another. And I'll give you a, a very small example, and let's go from uh, a defensive line, offensive line perspective. If I know you're going to pass these next three plays, my defensive lineman will just rush straight upfield at your offensive lineman without uh, uh, thinking that they, they have to run because what happens when you have to run the football the defensive line basically has to kind of grab onto the offensive lineman and look to see where the running back is while he's being engaged by the offensive lineman. And there's a moment of doubt between the run and the pass. So you have to keep them surprised. If he knows it's going to be a pass, he's going to rush at your quarterback. It's as, almost as simple as that. You know what I mean? He has to be a, he's going to go just go straight at the quarterback and it becomes a one dimensional situation. So if I know what you're doing, whether it be a runner or pass in a one dimensional situation, it's going to be easier for me to react as a player. So if I'm a defensive lineman and I know that uh, Derek Carr is going to throw the ball, I'm rushing straight up the field. I'm not even going to think about looking at the running back and that 10th of a second gives, or that second and a half, I should say, would give the, 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 the quarterback a little bit more time to throw the ball or, uh, or and and he doesn't have to worry about these guys rushing upfield. So he's going to be able to have the time to throw the ball. The, the, the running back keeps that, um, keeps the defensive lineman honest is what I should say. 
Yeah, and, and so it makes you just kind of sit back just a little bit, take a little bit more time to be able to actually see what's happening everywhere else on the field before I have to rush the quarterback. And that really, really helps. All right, so give me one quarterback currently in the NFL. You're down to your final drive. You're trailing by five points and you need a touchdown. What quarterback are you taking and why? Pat Mahomes. He's the best player in the league right now. Yeah, he's, he's tremendous. He makes, he makes all the throws. Uh, he can do anything out there. He's uh, he sidewinds. And by the way, let me just say this. Um, they're head and heels above everybody else in the league. And talking about the run-pass combination, right now uh, they're incredible. And you saw it last week. Baltimore was the number one defense in the league. And even the announcer said it. They had no idea what they were doing. When they thought they were going to pass, defensive linemen were rushing upfield, they do a draw play or they do a reverse. It just keeps you off balance when you're doing it. So um, Pat Mahomes, I say that because I've watched him. And by the way, they should be in two Super Bowls in a row. They were a play away on an offsides against New England right. on an interception from finishing the game. I've never seen a team come back from 14 points down. It feels like every single week. This guy's in charge. He runs them right down the field. He does sidearm. He does back. He can throw it over his head. He can do anything. But he gets the ball in the right place for the receivers. He's the most scary guy that I've seen play football in a very long time. If I'm up by three points and he's got the ball at the 20-yard line, that's the guy I don't want to see. Last question. I will get you out of here on this one. If you and I are talking uh, at the end of December – What's the Buffalo Bills record, and are they winning that AFC East, knocking off the mighty they, Patriots? Oh, yeah. They're, not, they're winning the AFC East, even though I thought that, you know, the, the funny thing about the, uh, the Patriots uh, is I didn't think they were going to be as good as they are, but obviously they have one of the best coaches in the league. And the Cam Newton deal was a steal, and I, I, still, think that, um, actually, I, I still think that Cam Newton should have been in your division uh, with the Chargers. Uh, but that's but that's a whole nother conversation. Uh, I, I but I still think that they can beat New England. Uh, I think they have a good enough team. Yeah, they're still in it. They're a ten and six team. I think uh, they're going to lose some games. It's just going to happen. I actually think that um, honestly, they should, probably should have lost last week. Uh, the the Rams, the uh, fourth down pass interference, uh, it's kind of a sketchy call, especially coming from a defensive back, right? So. Um, uh, 10 and six to go to the playoffs. Not sure what's going to happen from there. Not sure if the experience lends itself to making it all the way to the big game. I don't think they're better than Kansas city nor Baltimore. So they're going to win the division and they're a very good team. They'll go to the playoffs and then, you know, hopefully you know, they can make something happen. Sounds good. Hey man, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. It was great catching up to you and it was uh, wonderful to hear some, uh, some old stories. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Anytime, my friend. You know that. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. You got it. I'll see you later, Dennis. All right, Raider Nation. That's going to do it for another edition of the Raiders Leave In Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.